I mean, I, I don't know, like after they sing that song, I felt like I should just come on stage and kind of skip around. That was, it was just kind of that, it's kind of like this, you know, somebody's got an umbrella on their shoulder just dancing. Now, that was, was a feel-good, happy song. Well, good morning, my friends. Um, I want to invite you, as I always do, to gather around the Word of God, because that's where we're going to be this morning as we continue our study of Matthew's Gospel. And uh, allow me just a second to set the stage for this morning's reading um, the last few weeks we've seen Jesus, and he's, we've been in the 12th chapter of Matthew, and um, we've seen Jesus kind of tied into some major conflict with the Pharisees. That's, that's primarily the theme of the 12th chapter of Matthew. And um, we see it start right there at the beginning of chapter 12 when the Pharisees are upset because the disciples are picking grain on the Sabbath. And we see that conflict even more escalate as Jesus goes, goes in uh, and and. On, on the Sabbath day, heals a man who has a, a withered hand. And, uh, and all this conflict happens in chapter 12. It all happens on the same day. It all happens on the Sabbath. And after Jesus heals the man with a withered hand, and, and he, he goes to leave the synagogue, a giant crowd from within the synagogue follows Jesus because they're amazed at him. And, and what Scripture tells us is of that giant crowd that leaves the synagogue with Jesus, that Jesus heals many people. He, actually, I think it says he heals all of them, all the people in the crowd that leaves with him from the synagogue that day. And uh, there's one specific healing in the midst of all those that, that really amazes the crowd, and it causes them to really question if Jesus might be the son of David. And that, that specific healing that caused that was the healing of a, a man who had been possessed by a demon who was blind and mute. And, and, and the crowd was amazed, and as a result, the Pharisees were angry. And the Pharisees told the crowd that uh, the, the way that Jesus was casting out these demons was by the power of who? The power of the devil. Um, yeah, the Pharisees were so hardened at this point in their lives that they were willing to attribute the work of God to the devil. And ever, over the last couple of weeks, we've seen Jesus rebuke those Pharisees uh, Jesus warned them against blaspheming the Holy Spirit, and um, he reminds them that a, a tree is known by its fruit. And, and since the, the fruit of Jesus' ministry was good, Jesus says, listen, you have to know that the source, that, that me, myself, that I am a good source. Um, however, Jesus tells the Pharisees that, that their words expose the wickedness of their own hearts, and that on the day of judgment, they will be judged by their words. And that kind of brings us up to where... Um, we are today, and, and context is important when you read through Scripture. And as we, we set today, we're going to read the, the, the end of Matthew chapter 12, and we really have three unique sections there. If you're, if you're looking in your Bible, what you'll see is that at the end of Matthew tw chapter 12, there's, there's three unique sections that you might not think uh, flow really well together. And I want to tell you this. The benefit of expository preaching, or what we do here is, you know, preaching straight through the text is that it forces you to preach on sections of Scripture that you might just have avoided if you were just picking the greatest hits. Like if, if you were just a preacher and you're like, I'm just going to preach the greatest hits, you would always, you know, you, you'd preach the Sermon on the Mount, you'd, you'd preach the Great Commission, and, and you'd, you'd skip over some of this stuff that just doesn't fit neatly into baskets. Um, but we're going to preach them today, and, and I think you're going to enjoy them. So let me tell you about these three. The, uh, the first section we will deal with very briefly and the reason we'll only deal with it briefly is because we preached on this as our Easter text this year. And it's available to you online if you want to hear about it more. It's a section that deals with the sign of Jonah. And, and maybe some of you will remember that from Easter. 
The second section that we're going to deal with is a strange story, actually. It's, it's a very strange story where Jesus is talking about a demon who leaves a man and goes and wanders around in dry places and then returns to the man and brings seven more demons with him. It's a very, very interesting section. And the last section we're going to read is uh, just the last part of chapter 12. It's an interesting story of Jesus' mother and his brothers showing up at a house where Jesus is teaching and it appears that Jesus' mother and brothers are trying to fetch Jesus away from the work that he's doing. And so I want to invite you to hold on tight as we try to cover all this ground today. Uh, and let me tell you this, even in the, in, in the randomness of these texts, what I think you're going to see is that the gospel message really shines through. And I think you're, you're going to really marvel at Jesus today as you read the Word of God. And so let's get into it today. I want to invite you to stand if you're able to stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to begin our reading in 1238, but before we do, let's pause for a word of prayer. Father, thank you that you reveal yourself to us by your word and by your son, Christ Jesus, our Lord. As we read about your son in your word, Father, may your spirit move in us, quickening our hearts to hear rightly, to bring conviction and inspiration and worship of Christ, our Lord. We pray this as the church and all the church said, amen. All right, well, let's read together, beginning in the 38th verse. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But Jesus answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty and swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So it will be with this evil generation. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Church, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. See what I mean? Doesn't it kind of feel like those three sections are kind of disjointed a bit, like they don't quite flow together like the narrative that we're used to? Well, let's, uh, let's just jump right in and see what we, what we can find out. Um, beginning in verse 38, it says this, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Now, the reason I jumped back at the beginning of today was to put all this in the context that all this is happening on the Sabbath day. All this is one day. And, and although we've covered it and it's been like five weeks, it's all one day. 
And you've got to remember how the day started off, the disciples picking grain, and then Jesus healing a man with a withered hand, and then everyone following Jesus outside, uh, and then Jesus healing all of them, and then Jesus doing this healing of a man who was demon-possessed, who couldn't speak and couldn't see. And you've got to say, like, this is a day full of signs and miracles. And yet, after all this, they attribute all his work, they attribute him to the devil. He rebukes him, and you know what they say to him? Jesus, we'd like to see a sign. Isn't that incredible? The gall. He's been doing signs all day long. And the Pharisees seemed to be upset by his signs, and so they, they ask him for another. And remember, the main purpose of Jesus' miracles were to be signs to people that he is the Messiah. That God is doing something new, and the Pharisees have seen it all, and, and they just attribute it to Satan. Look at verse 39. He says this But Jesus answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus does not seem pleased by their request. He says, no sign will be given except for the sign of Jonah. And and just, just for review from Easter, what is the sign of Jonah? Well, Jonah was, was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. Jesus is saying, uh, I have a sign for this evil generation. It's this, verse 40. This is, this is what he says. For just as Jonah was, was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The, the sign that Jesus says he will provide to the Pharisees and to a generation that, that is adulterous and wicked is his death, his burial in, in the ground, in the earth for three days, and his physical resurrection. And, and, and there just seems to be this theme here of, of Israel as, 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 a, as a country, as a people. There just seem to be missing the signs, right? There were, and there are two examples of how Israel is missing the signs that Jesus is going to list out for us. He's going he's to illustrate this. And, and the first is still from the story of Jonah. And, and the idea is that the Ninevites, you remember that's who Jonah was supposed to go preach to, and, and Jonah didn't want to go to the Ninevites because he seemed to, to, to kind of have a hatred towards them. And if you study the Ninevites, they're really awful people. They were, they were very violent and cruel people, and Jonah didn't want to, but he, he submitted to God after the whole uh, fish thing, and he went and he preached to them. And, and what did they do? The Ninevites, they repented. Do you remember that? And, and, and what he's saying uh, here, Jesus is saying is, it's worse off for you because even the Ninevites repented and you didn't. And, and he says, but something greater than Jonah is here. So, so we begin to see that he's talking to Israel, that all of Israel are missing the signs. It's not just about these Pharisees. And, and the, he uses a second example of how they're missing the signs and it's bad for them. He, he begins to talk about the story of, of, of King Solomon. And do you remember King Solomon was, was really, really wise and, um, and his wisdom and fame kind of spread around the world till it came to the ears of the Queen of Sheba. And, uh, and the Queen of Sheba heard about Solomon's wisdom and because of this, she traveled from the ends of the earth to see him. And, and, and what we have is Jesus kind of repeating that refrain that, behold, something greater than Solomon is, is here. And the greater theme of Matthew's gospel, Jesus has uniquely been preaching to Israel, and he's giving these signs of his Messiahship everywhere. And yet what Jesus is finally saying to these Pharisees is, is everyone just keeps seeming to miss the sign. And, and now you're asking for me to produce another one. Well, guess what? 
The sign that you're going to get is the sign of Jonah, the resurrection. And I said this on Easter, and I'll say it again to you today, my friends. Um, the resurrection of Jesus is the great sign he offers to Israel. But it's also uh, the resurrection is a great sign that Jesus offers to you. And I encourage you today, based on the resurrection of Jesus, to confess, repent, and believe in Jesus. And the, the next section we come to, is, I, I promise I would go really fast through the first one, is very interesting. And this next section deals with spiritual realm of demons. And it, it kind of jerks our head it moves so fast. Look, look what happens in verse 43. We, we kind of, it's almost as if Jesus is talking about um, something greater than Jonah being here, and then he just jumps into 43, and it says this. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. All right, so let's talk about this pa passage. Um, Jesus is, is telling a story about a demon, and the story comes somewhat after Jesus has, has healed a man who was demon-possessed. You remember this just happened pretty recently. And, and of course, that's the same time that Jesus is, uh, accused, uh, excuse me, the Pharisees accused Jesus of, of, of healing the man by the power of the devil. And um, therefore, Jesus compares the healing of the demon-possessed man. If you remember this, how Jesus explains this to them, he, he compares the heal, his process of healing this man to uh, breaking into a strong man's house. Do you remember that? And uh, he's basically saying, uh, no, I didn't, I didn't heal this man by the power of the devil. The devil had kind of taken up residence in this man, uh, in, 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 the, in, the, in the embodiment of demons, right? And so what I had to do was break into the strong man who was, represents the devil. I had to break in the strong man's house, and I had to subdue him that I could uh, actually deliver this man from uh, the devil. And so when Jesus goes into this story, this illustration we just read, he's using that same logic that he's introduced. Uh, so let's read it one more time together. Uh, verse 43 says this. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finds none. So the story seems to suggest that there is an unclean spirit inside some random person. This is almost like a parable. It almost reads that way. Uh, and, and the story seems to suggest that that unclean spirit leaves that person that it was tormenting, and it goes out of his house, if you will, and it goes into a waterless place. Now, it's probably a desert um, where, you know, I guess kind of the logic is with a place without God's provision, a place that's dry. Where did Jesus encounter uh, Satan? Remember in the desert, in, uh, we read about that encounter with Satan, so this kind of makes sense. Uh, so what does this evil spirit, this demon, eventually do? Well, look at verse 44. It says this. It says, uh, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Uh, so what, what is the house from which the evil spirit came? Uh, let's just be clear. It is someone who had once been possessed by that evil spirit. However... This evil spirit notices that upon its return, that person, their house, their, themselves, they look different. The, the person who was once tormented by this evil spirit has swept their house and has put it into order. Now, what do you think that might mean? Uh, what might it mean for someone who was once demon-possessed to sweep their house and to put it in order? It probably means that they got their life together, right? And, and I don't know how, what that might look like. Maybe they... Maybe they quit drinking. Maybe they changed their lifestyle. Maybe they started to follow the law. 
they really tried to do everything that the, that the Pharisees taught them to do. Maybe they, they began to keep uh, the Sabbath holy. and Maybe they began to take care of widows and orphans. They just really began living these great morally good lives. And, and so in a way, they, they, they got their house clean. They, they, they got swept up. What's being described in this verse is morality. When we sweep up our life and we put it in order. But notice, Jesus says one other thing about the house. It was swept, yes. It was put in order, yes. But Jesus says it was what? It was empty. There was nothing living inside that person now. They had done all that, that moral work. They, they don't cuss. They don't drink. They, they don't go out and party. They've really cleaned themselves up, but they are empty. And, and, and here's what I want you to know. It is possible to follow the rules of the law, to follow uh, to, to obey the, the, the word of God, in, in, as to say, and to be so consumed with Christian moralism, and at the same time, you could do all that and be empty inside. And, and, and I think you could say this was, was the sin of the Pharisee, right? They were the moral police. They were, they were ready to jump on Jesus for eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. They were ready to jump on his disciples for picking grain on the Sabbath, they know all the rules, they kept all the rules, but Jesus' repeated refrain to them is that they are empty on the inside. Remember, this is what Jesus has been saying about the Pharisees. It's like, if you remember in the past, we read a place where, where Jesus called them, they were like a whitewashed tomb full of dead men's bones. They, just, they, were, they were made to look pretty on the outside, but on the inside it was just full of bones. Um, and, and so the story goes on. That when the, the demons return, or when the demon returns and it finds the house empty, what does it do? Well, let, let's read verse 45. It says this. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and they dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also it will be with this evil generation. So, so let me say this. I think it's what we can pull out of this is that if you're trying to get your life together by simply pursuing morality and simply trying to become a better person, you're sweeping the house, but you're leaving it empty. If, you're, if your house is not filled by the lordship of Jesus through the indwelling of his Holy Spirit, you will be worse off because of moralism. The person in this story who swept their house and left it empty, what, what Scripture says is they, they ended up in a worse state than when they were demon-possessed. Can you believe that? Why, you might ask? Because the lie of moralism is a lie that says that you are made right with God based on your ability to keep from sinning. And so you might be fooled like the Pharisees to say, oh, you know what, my house is in order. I'm in, I'm in good shape. I'm not drinking. I'm not partying or sleeping around anymore. But the truth is, that is a lie. You could never be good enough to morally be right with God. The only righteousness, and I'm going to say this over and over, the only righteousness that is available to you is the imputed righteousness of Jesus. Your house has to be filled by the Holy Spirit that allows your mouth to confess the lordship of Jesus that redeems your moral behavior as acts of worship. Morality alone will, will simply lead to destruction and will leave you in a worse place than you started. That's the second part of our story today. So let's jump to part three. 
And I want to suggest to you that, that they are not so separate of stories, not so separated, because I, I believe this is all one conversation. This is all one day. Jesus has healed a man. The Pharisees have accused him of doing it by the power of the devil. Jesus has refuted these claims. They have asked for a sign. He has said, all you get is the sign of Jonah. Then he warns them of the dangers of, of cleaning the house and leaving it empty. And then right there in that moment, right there in the middle of the conversation, Jesus' mother Mary, along with her brothers, show up. Verse 46. Ready? While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. So why have Mary and Jesus' brothers shown up at the house? Why are they there? Well, a lot of commentators have speculated that they were worried about Jesus. Uh, the word was spreading throughout the community about Jesus' conflicts that have been all day long with the Pharisees. And I really do believe that what is happening here is that his family is fearing for his life. And, and so one way you might say this is, is that they came to this house to kind of save Jesus from himself. They were going to convince him to come with them, to stop making all these claims. And, and if you look at the parallel verse in, in Mark's gospel, this is how Mark records this. Mark 3.21, look at this, what it says about them. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they are saying he is out of his mind. So, so here's one question. Do you think Mary knows who Jesus is? Remember the, remember the famous Christmas song? What's that one called? Mary, did you know? You know what? Every time we sing that, you know what I always want to do? I want to stand on the back and scream, she did. Like, like she knew. She knew. Listen, Mary knew. And so let's settle this once and for all, shall we? That Mary knew, right? Uh, Luke 1, 30 through 33. This is what we know. This is what we know that, that Mary knows. It says this. And the angel said to Mary, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom there will be no end. Did Mary know? Yes, she did. This, this is not a matter of Mary knowing who Jesus is. When, when Jesus was born, an angel appeared to the shepherds. Remember this? And told the shepherds where they could find the Christ child. And so the shepherds come to worship Jesus, and they tell Mary and Joseph everything the angels had said about Jesus. And you remember what happened in Luke, Luke 2, 19? It says this, But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. Mary knew. When there, was a, when there was a wedding in Canaan, this, this already happened, and, and, and what happened at the wedding in Canaan? They ran out of wine. What did Mary do? She ran over to find Jesus because she believed that he could miraculously solve the problem. She believed he could do miracles. So if it's not doubt that has brought the family of Jesus to pull him from this house, what is it? I want to suggest to you that it's fear or it's, or it's concern. They cannot grasp that Jesus is destined for the cross. And, and they want to save him from it. And, and I think in a way that, that would be very natural if you loved someone. It would be very natural if that person was your son. You want to save them from suffering. P. 
Peter did the same thing, by the way. Do you remember this? Peter did this. In Matthew 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's telling the disciples that, 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 that he has to go to the cross and be killed. And, and what does Peter do? He takes Jesus aside. He says, come here, come here. No, you come here. And Peter, it says this in Scripture, that Peter rebukes Jesus. And you remember what, what Jesus said to Peter? Matthew uh, 16, 23. But he turned to Peter and he said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So here, I want to suggest to you that Jesus' family is doing the same thing that, uh, that Peter was doing. Coming to save Jesus from his destiny, from the cross. And maybe uh, you think Jesus was harsh with his response to his family, but, but when compared to Peter, not really. You know, he, he told Peter, get behind me, Satan. Look, look what he says here. Um, uh, some man comes in and says, hey, hey, Jesus, your mommy and brothers are outside. And look what happens in verses 48 through 50. This is what he says. But Jesus replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and, and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand towards his disciples and he said, here are my mother. And my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Some guy, like I said, comes in and he says, Jesus, your mom and brothers are outside and, and they want you to go with them. But what is Jesus doing? What's he, what's he doing right now? He's teaching the crowd in this house about salvation. That's what he's in the middle of doing. He's teaching people, and you remember in context, that you just can't just leave the house and just leave it empty. And, and the family shows up at exactly that moment. He's just said that. He's like, you can't just leave your house empty. And they say, Jesus, come out of the house. And I'm, I'm convinced that what Jesus does next is, is a pure work of evangelism. I'm convinced that what Jesus, what you're watching here, it's, it's pure gospel work. Out of the great concern from the crowd who has been watching all of chapter 12 uh, transpire, I think Jesus is telling all these people how to be saved. And he's illustrating it by what's happening in reality, by the arrival of his family. But he is, in fact, sharing the gospel. And he says, who, are my, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Jesus asks, and he points to his disciples. He said, here are my mother and, and my brothers. I don't think this was some big act of, of disrespect for his biological family. I think it was an invitation from Jesus to the crowd to not just sweep their house clean with morality, but instead to be part of his family and to have the Spirit indwell them. And so, so look what's more at verse 50. He says this, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. So what he's telling the crowd is this, if you don't want to be an empty house, if you want to be part of the family of Christ, you must do the will of the Father. And, and we might think, well, whoa, hold on, is this just moralism again? What's different? Well, we have to ask ourselves, what is the will of the Father? What's the will of the Father in your life? What's the will of the Father in my life? The Scripture clear about what the will of the Father is? I think it is. I want to show you where Scripture tells us what the will of the Father is. John 6, 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. What is the will of the Father? That everyone who looks upon Jesus and believes in him should have 
eternal life. Who then are, are, are Jesus' brothers and sisters? Anyone who looks upon him and believes. Jesus isn't going to be pulled out of the house because he's halfway through a gospel presentation. And his mom and brothers just can't see that Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly who he's angering and that his signs and his words are going to lead to his death. So that may have felt like three unique stories, but I don't think so. Let's summarize our reading today, shall we? First, we read of the Pharisees asking for a sign. And Jesus tells them that the only sign uh, that he will give is the sign of Jonah, seen fully in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. Next, what we found is that Jesus warned against empty moralism with a story about a a demon-possessed man, and the demon leaves the man and goes to dry places, and the man sweeps his house clean. He takes care of his life morally, but, but without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, he's still empty inside, so the demon returns and brings seven more other spirits more evil than himself. But Jesus then, even though his family arrives to pull him out, he continues to speak to the crowd, And he tells them about another way. If you do the will of my Father, you can be part of the family of Christ. And and what is the will of the Father? That you might look upon the Son and believe upon him. And so I think our message in today's scripture today is this. Friends, trust in Jesus. Repent and believe. Do not trust in empty moralism. And fill that void inside of you by the Spirit of God. Friends, we have been the church gathered. Thanks be to God. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for your word, uh, for the the story of Jesus' ministry in uh, in Matthew chapter 12. And Father, that that, that he warns of this empty moralism and and begins to tell us that that we become uh, sons and daughters of of the king when we pace our faith in him. Uh, God, prepare our hearts uh, as we go through this week and as we prepare to return next week and begin to hear of the parables of Jesus in Matthew 13. Father, to you be all glory in your church now and forever. And all the church said, amen.